Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Oh, happy 4th of July weekend, right? Uh, If you weren't here last week, uh, we started a series, I've been talking about it for a few weeks leading up to uh, last Sunday. And the question was, which we saw, I don't know how many of you, saw, it was on CNN, and you see it up there, the title slide, is America, is the founding of America, does it have a, do we have Christian roots? And it was interesting, I don't know if you saw CNN, but as I woke up early yesterday and I, I just looked at my phone, I laughed, I chuckled to myself, because they had that question and they had different historians weigh in on that question. And the question that we started to look at last week, I had 37 slides last week. I have 44, 45 today. So I have a few more. Uh, there are, as a preacher, there are times when you are highly motivated to come back and continue preaching on a topic. You may be surprised. There are actually times where it's hard. This is not one of those times. This was easy to immerse myself. Again, this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I'm going to take my time again this morning. I have a lot of slides. I'm going to give you a lot of information. If you don't catch something, that's fine. Just let it go. You can listen to it afterwards. All the PowerPoint slides will be available if you want it. I didn't know last week what the reaction would be. Thank you so much for texts and just kind words of encouragement. I think this is a a timely message, not just for us, but everywhere. As we look at our country, the state it's in, if you have any questions... I, I would ask that you could text me at that number, or if you want to email me, obviously, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know my love for him, you can shoot me an email. Any questions that you may have from last week or anything that you hear this morning. All right, so if you, I'll give you another second. You can look at that. Now, the Bible, as we start out, the Bible is, is pretty clear uh, all over. It's replete with examples, and I said this yesterday. It's imbued with examples of remembering the former days. And this is, again, something we looked at last week briefly. You can look at these passages. Remember who you are, children of Israel. And we said it's important for us as Americans to look at the foundation of our nation because we are being assaulted by culture. And so many voices out there are saying, no, 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 we weren't founded on Judeo-Christian principles. So that's why in Middle Island, New York, this little preacher that no one knows about, this is what I want to preach. And this is what I want to talk about. This is what I'm passionate about. I don't know if my passion will come across. You know, I'll try. Some of you last week were like, you know, the only thing that you're missing is passion. I said, I can't help it when it comes to this kind of topic. I'm into it. And it's fun. I love what, we'll start here, Patrick Henry. How many of you remember the fiery orator? You know, give me liberty or give me death. You remember that very famous speech? Well, if you look him up, there are so many uh, sayings attributed to him about God, about the Bible, about Jesus Christ. Again, one of our founding fathers. You never hear that. So the fiery orator, he put it, I know no way of judging the future but by the past. Uh, Daniel Webster, another luminary, another name maybe you've heard of before, one of the greatest statesmen in the history of your country, one of the greatest senators. Probably one of the greatest speakers, maybe gave the greatest speech of all time in the U.S. Senate. History is God's providence in human affairs. How come when I read the CNN article, I didn't see quotes like this? How come? Why is that, church? Why don't we hear about stuff like that? Well, here you are on this weekend. It marks 239 years since our founding fathers gave us our national birth certificate. Isn't that interesting? 239 years. This is our birth certificate. And we said last week, we are the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. Wow. On July 2nd, 1776, Congress approved the separation from Great Britain. On July 8th, they went out in the steps of Independence Hall and they read the Declaration of Independence. Oh, and they, they read it loud. There was power behind those words. And they read them for everybody in Philadelphia to hear. And you know what they did right after that? Let me tell you. They rang the Liberty Bell. Do you know what's emblazoned on the Liberty Bell? Oh, we never hear about this. Let me show you. Yeah, yeah. Atheists, agnostics, Unitarians. Uh, 
Proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. Leviticus 25. That is emblazoned on the liberty bell. Are you kidding me? Yeah, how come we don't hear about that? How about nobody writes about that? How come? How come no one shares that? I don't hear that on CNN, on the news, MSNBC. This is real history. And when you look at our founding fathers, what an eclectic mix of people we said. You have ministers. I say, let's, let me quiz you. How many of the 56 who signed the declaration were ministers? 29. Very good. You have businessmen. You have sailors. You have captains. You have farmers. You have attorneys. You have doctors. But these men, listen, the majority of them, I said, we, we always look at the exception, not the rule. We want to talk about the deists. We want to talk about those that are the least religious, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson. We said, what about the rest of them? And I want to put before you on July 4th week, and I purposely did it this week and not last, do you know what it was like for these individuals to actually sign that document, the Declaration of Independence? Real human beings. Like I always say with the Bible, you need an imagination. You need to understand the real story. You need to see the context. And who can set the context better than, nobody could set it better, than Dr. Benjamin Rush. And I said his name last week. He's the, the father of modern medicine in American society. He's somebody that my kids will learn about. He's somebody that your kids should learn about. He's somebody that we don't talk about in American schools. And this is what he said in 1781. We're getting to the end of the American Revolution, right? And he's writing a letter to John Adams. And these are his words. Oops, sorry. I'll go back to that. Do you, I'll I'll read it off my, uh, it's easier to read, I I tried to put their pictures there for you. Do you recollect the pensive and awful silence which pervaded the house when we were called up one after another to the table of the President of Congress to subscribe to what was believed by many at that time to be our death warrants? The silence and gloom of the morning was interrupted, I well recollect, only for a moment by Colonel Harrison of Virginia. He was a really big guy who said to Mr. Jerry, really, Elbridge Jerry was very small at the table, I shall have a great advantage over you, Mr. Jerry, when we are all hung for what we are now doing. From the size and weight of my body, I shall die in a few minutes, but from the lightness of your body, you will dance in the air an hour or two before you are dead. <laughs> and they smiled and laughed, but then it got serious again. These are real men. Do you understand? These men were looked at and deemed as traitors. We don't hear this. If they were caught, they would have been executed. It's right to the gallows. We're going to hang you. This is the last part of the Declaration of Independence that nobody talks about this, but these are the final words that are there. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Wow. Oh, did they do that? Friends, do you think they really did that? Yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the people. Another name. Here is one of the founders of your country, part of your heritage. John Hart was the Speaker of the House in the state of New Jersey. Nobody ever talks about him. He said, you know what? What's important to me in life? My Savior, Jesus Christ, my family, and then my farm. Here is a guy who said, I'm going to sign this document. He could, after he signed this document, he never slept in the same place two nights in a row. He was afraid for his life. The British, when they came, they took over, they ravaged his estate. They butchered all of his cattle. They burned all of his timber. After the Battle of Trenton, in, later on in the war, which w- was big for the, uh, for the Americans, after this battle, he goes back to his farm. When he goes back to his farm, his wife is dead. She's gone. And his children are scattered. Talk about giving up everything for the cause. How about this guy? Let's go to John Hancock. You all know the name John Hancock. We talked about him last week. He was one of the wealthiest people from the state of Massachusetts. Had one of the largest mansions in all of the colonies. So here's a man of affluence and influence. Well, the colonists think it's, it's a good idea, it's a wise idea that we're after the, they've besieged Boston. And after they've besieged Boston and, and taken out British influence, they say, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to burn all of Boston. This is what some of the, the, the officers are saying to do. This is the reaction of one John Hancock when it was said to him, let's do that. Okay? This is the reaction what he said. They said, by the execution of such a plan... 
um, his whole fortune of Mr. Hancock would have been sacrificed. Yet he consented to the measure and said it's his willingness to surrender whatever the liberties, what is that word there? I can't even, of his country should require it. Not a smart idea what I did. I thought it would be nice that you see their pictures there, but I don't think that was the brightest idea. But he, so here is a man that said, I will give up absolutely everything. It doesn't matter about my estate. It doesn't matter. My mansion doesn't matter. Here is a name. Now remember, this is white and black history. This guy, Richard Allen, I put his face up last week, didn't really give you a lot of his story. This is black, white, and there are women that were very formative in what happened in, in revolutionary time during in colonial America and the American Revolution, right? So Richard Allen is a slave. He lives on a plantation. In the, he's in Delaware. He is not a Christian. There is a traveling Methodist preacher who is going from plantation to plantation, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He preaches this gospel. Here is this guy, Richard Allen, on one of the plantations. He hears the message of Jesus Christ, is so taken by it, he becomes a Christian. He becomes a Christ follower. It was said of Richard Allen that on that plantation and others... He went around afterwards. He, by the way, he was freed. His slave master became a Christian, and once he became a Christian, said, you know what? This slavery thing doesn't really make much sense. How come we don't hear about stories like this? And he was given his freedom. It was said that he preached to anything and everything on his plantation. He went to other plantations and started preaching. After that, he traveled from Delaware and went up to Philadelphia. Philadelphia at this time was the third largest city in, in all of the colonies. In the world, 40,000 people are there. We don't think that's a lot, but back then, that was a lot of people. He started a church there. Now, what's wild about this, he started a church there. You know how many members the church eventually had? 2,000 members. 2,000. That's a mega church today, but back then, that's a real mega church, right? So he's got 2,000 people, and he starts this with a guy named Dr. Benjamin Rush, one of the founding fathers. Again, this is not in any textbook. You can't find this in any textbook. This, story, this kind of story, you don't find Rush's name, and you certainly don't find Alan's name. Do you know what denomination he actually started? And this is kind of interesting because it's been in the news. How about the AME? Wow. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? The African Methodist? Um, uh, Episcopal uh, denomination was started by this guy, Richard Allen. Crazy. So these guys teamed up together, but here's the best part of their story. You see, in 1793, there was an epidemic, the yellow fever epidemic. One out of every 10 people in Philadelphia lost their, lost their life. They died from this, okay? There are 74 doctors in the area at this time in Philadelphia. Every single doctor except Benjamin Rush stayed in Philadelphia to care for those people that were stricken. with. The, they didn't know what caused it. So all the doctors are like, I'm not staying here. I'm getting out of here. Three people stayed. Richard Allen who was a pastor, would eventually fight in the Revolutionary War, would pick up a gun and fight alongside whites. George Washington wanted that, made the case for that. You don't read that in your textbooks. He started with Richard Allen, and here's another guy. The first black bishop in the Episcopal Church is Absalom Jones. So you have Dr. Benjamin Rush, white guy. You have Richard Allen, pastor. And you have the first black bishop in the Episcopal Church, Absalom Jones, standing side by side, fighting together, trying to, to give uh, comfort to people that are sick, and fighting in the American Revolution. How come we don't hear these stories? Yeah, the civil rights movement, this 1960s moving forward. How about the civil rights movement back in the 1700s? This is the kind of stuff that should be in textbooks. It's not preached about, it's not talked about, but it's your heritage. It's your story. How about women from the American Revolution? You can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. I said to you, I'd mention a little bit. Here's one, Deborah Sampson. Anybody ever hear the name before Deborah Sampson? You're lying if you did. You never did before, okay? Deborah Sampson cut her hair really short. She, she, she faked her identity. She changed her identity, and she fought as a soldier in the Revolutionary War. Her name was Robert Shirtliff. Can you, you can't, this is incredible. She, over, over a year, this, nobody uncovers this ruse. You want to talk about tough? Megan leaned over to me before. She was at her family weekend, and she said to me, you know what? 
She said, I got a blister from playing with my lacrosse stick. And I said, yeah. I said, wait till you hear about Deborah Sampson. She got multiple blisters, right? Digging trenches. There was this woman that is there digging trenches. There is this woman in the Battle of Fort Washington in 1776, November 1776. She is fighting. She actually got shot in her right leg. Since she's really a woman, she didn't want the doctor to know that she was shot. So she took out the ball. She took out the pistol ball from her leg on her own. Are you kidding me? How can we never hear about people like this from the revolution? How about Abigail Adams, the wife of John Adams? They wrote letters to each other all the time. Now, this, you would think during this time, women did not procure the right to vote until 1920, right? The 19th Amendment. How about somebody like Abigail Adams? Because this is what she thought. I long to hear that you have declared an independency. And by the way, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies. That's a very famous line there. Remember the ladies and to be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. Ladies, okay? If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to incite a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. This is the late 1700s, ladies. She wasn't this demure little dainty girl. Okay, John, whatever, would you like some tea? How can I take, can I tuck you in? No, it was like, listen, we deserve rights too, okay, pal? Don't forget about the ladies. And there are numerous other people. How about, you know, and I just wrote down a couple. How about Agent 355? If you haven't read the, the Washington book about the spy ring that came out a couple of years ago, Agent 355 was part of the Culper spy ring. Anybody watch the show on TV, Turn? Oh, it's such a good show. How about the Talmadge Trail when you see signs? Benjamin Talmadge was part of the Culper spy ring. You've seen those signs a thousand times. You're like, who's this? What's this Talmadge Trail? Yeah, it goes all the way back to the American Revolution. We don't even know who Agent 355 is today. We know she was a woman. We know she was very instrumental in putting information into George, Washington, George Washington's hands about the war. She was also very influential in getting information to him about one Benedict Arnold. How come we don't hear a lot of stories about these kinds of women? And then one more. How about Margaret Corbin from Philadelphia? She followed her husband John in, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, he enlists. She follows him. He is a guy that loads and shoots cannons in a battle. He is shot. He's actually killed. What does she do? You know Molly Pitcher, the myth, the legend of Molly Pitcher? It's like an amalgamation of all these different characters, or all these different characters, but this one in particular, she actually gets on the cannon and starts fighting. Really? Incredible stories that we should hear about, but we don't. They're not in our textbooks. Black, white, male, Female, fighting together, fighting oppression. Isn't that what the church is supposed to look like? Doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, black, white. It doesn't matter. All that matters is there is, it matters, this matters, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all that matters. John Quincy Adams was asked in 1837, now he's 69 years old, he's the sixth president of the United States, not John Adams, the second president, this is his son, right, so John Quincy, 69 years old, if you go on Wikipedia right now, and I did did way too much research this week, and it's kind of fun, but I'm looking, I'm like, by the way, what what do they even say that his religion was? If you can't tell this guy was a real deal orthodox Christian, I I don't know, I don't know where you're going to find one then, because they say he's Unitarian, guy's not Unitarian, all right, it's a myth. So it's, it's 1837. He is asked to deliver a 4th of July speech in Massachusetts. And this is what he asked the audience. So he's asking a question. He says, why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day, the 4th of July? Pretty interesting question he starts with. So he's saying, why in America are the 4th of July and Christmas our two top holidays? Do you want to see what his answer is? Yeah, of course you do. This is what he wrote. He said, is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly, permanently linked with the birthday of the Savior? 
that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth? I thought this guy was Unitarian. Oh, okay. That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Adams would go on to say this. This is, I love this. No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. You know what his nickname was? He was called the Hellhound of Slavery. Did you ever see Steven Spielberg's movie Amistad? Right? Played by Anthony Hopkins. Oh, gosh. I mean, this guy is a staunch abolitionist. This guy is a Christian. Did you know what he used to do every single day? One of your presidents, the number six president in our country, this is your heritage, he would get up every single day and read the Bible for an hour every single morning. Right before he died, right before he died, This is 1847. He developed a book for kids, 10 to 12-year-old kids, on how to read the Bible in a year because he read the Bible every single year from cover to cover. One of our presidents, part of your heritage. I didn't see that in the CNN article. I don't hear that kind of stuff on the news, but this is real history. John Quincy Adams. Now, What is so interesting, according to Adams on the 4th, the founders are taking the principles that came in the world through the birth of Jesus Christ, and they use them to birth the nation, this nation, the United States. And what were they doing in essence? They're joining civil government and Christian principles in a permanent bond. Do you get that? Christian principles, civil government, they were marrying the two. I bring that up because here's a large chunk of my sermon today. How many of you have heard the phrase... Separation of church and state. You've heard the phrase, separation of church and state. All right, let me ask you a little trivia for you before we move on. Is that phrase in the Constitution, can you find that phrase in the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, or the Fifth Amendment? Who says the First Amendment? We find those words in the First Amendment. Anybody the Second Amendment? Anybody the Fifth Amendment? You know your history. Wow, look at you. I tricked you, right? You knew, you're like, James, th- those words are not in the Constitution. Nowhere in your Constitution will you find those words, separation of church and state. Now, some of you may go, yeah, I know this. You don't know the background of the story, because the background of the story is, is wild when you look at the real history behind it. But listen, we must understand, when you, when you look at this, when you look at the First Amendment, let's go to it right now. Here's the definition of the First Amendment. This is what it says. Congress shall make no law, and by the way, this was done... From June to September, June 6th to September 25th of 1789, they debated. But listen, it's unequivocal. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the First Amendment means. Stay with me. I'm giving you history. You got to stay with me to really fully understand and grasp what this means for us as an American people and what this means for us as Christians. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, the Establishment Clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's basically what it says, and you see that there. Now, what is the intent of this? If you go to the next one, the First Amendment, the purpose was to limit the government in two specific areas. You may say, what? Because you don't hear this propagated everywhere is that our rights are limited, not the government's rights. This was not the original intent of the founding fathers, including deist Thomas Jefferson. These are the two things. These are the two areas. The federal government was prohibited from establishing a national denomination, whether Catholic, Anglican, or any other, Presbyterian, you name it, Baptist. Why is that important? Because they have just come under, out of British oppression. And the British have oppressed them. And what, what did they do in Britain? If we're Anglican in, in Britain, we're going to decree that everybody in the colonies, if you are not Anglican, you, you, there's going to be problems. You could be in prison. You can go to jail for this. You can get in a lot of trouble. So they're saying, look, the last thing the founding fathers wanted was a national religion, a national denomination. It is clear as day from the First Amendment. That's, that's part one, what they were saying by that, the First Amendment. And then part two is the First Amendment barred the federal government from interfering or meddling with limiting the people's public religious expressions. Look at it. Just look at this. 
You look at the Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You tell me that's not clear. The first part is the establishment clause, and the second part is the free exercise clause. You see, government was required to protect and not suppress, as it currently does today, religious expression. Did you hear that? Government, as it was originally instituted, as it was originally structured, was to protect and not suppress religious expression in American society. Now, here's the history behind it. Where did this, if James, if this phrase is not in the Constitution, can you please tell me where we can actually find that? Well, I'll show you right here, and you can go online tonight. Don't trust me. Don't trust the speaker. You go online tonight. The phrase separation of church and state comes from Thomas Jefferson, who wrote a letter in 1802. He's president of the United States. By the way, did you know this? First of all, Jefferson and Adams died on the, did you know that? They died on July 4th. 1820, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration. Did you know James Monroe, another president, number five? He also died on the 4th of July. Isn't that kind of crazy? Crazy. Did you know Jefferson didn't want on his tombstone that he was president of the United States? Hated being president. Probably, right? Something, yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but whatever, I'm digressing. So here you go, 1802. He's president of you. I'm not here to entertain you this morning. I'm here to teach you this morning. I'm here to equip you this morning. I really am. I'm here to inspire you. I'm here to incite you today. And Thomas Jefferson in 1802, he was uh, uh, the, the Danbury Baptist, this group in Danbury, Connecticut. My uncle and aunt here, they used to live there. There she is, okay. They used to live in Danbury, Connecticut. This group of Baptists were writing, they were writing a congratulatory letter to Thomas Jefferson. Hey, it's great that you're president. We, you know, we wish you well. We'll be praying for you, but we have one issue. We're kind of worried about the First Amendment, right? So this is like 13 years after the, you know, the, the First Amendment has been established in the Constitution, right? Bill of Rights. So 13 years later, they're writing a letter to Thomas Jefferson, congratulating, but they're worried, looking at the First Amendment, they're worried the government is going to come in and meddle in their affairs. Worried, right? Thomas Jefferson writes a letter back. How many of you have seen this before? Probably very few of you. We don't talk about this. You've seen this. So look what he writes in this letter. This is his letter, and I highlighted a couple of things that I think are important. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God. This guy's a deist. But listen, even before, I, have to say, I should preface it and say this too. Even when he was working in Virginia as a legislator, right? He's in Virginia. He defended the rights of Baptists, uh, you know, Anglicans, you name it. So he's a strong proponent of man being able to express himself, religiously speaking. So believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make, here it is, no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and here's the best part, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. That is the origin of that phrase, church and state. Now, we do not see anything on this issue until 50 years later, roughly 50 years later, in 1853, a group petitions Congress. And the group petitions Congress, and they say, we have a problem. We, don't, we want to have the separation of church and state because we don't, there, there were chaplains that were in Congress, and there were chaplains that were in the military, and they were trying to get them removed. And they said, we want a separation of church and state. They petitioned Congress. Look what Congress said. Now, I'm not, you can look at the records. They did it in 53. This is what Congress said in 1854. Had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, I didn't see this quote in CNN. I should, I should write, tell them. That revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. At the time of the adoption of the Constitution and the amendments, the universal sentiment was that Christianity should be encouraged, but not any one denomination. That's the, free exercise, the first part there, right, in the First Amendment. In this age, there is no substitute for Christianity. Did you hear that? 1854. No substitute. It was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. This is from Congress. Go look up the records. These people are kidding me. These secularists out there, people that are saying, no, we weren't, we weren't founded as a Christian nation. Well, what would you say to something like this? Oh, we indeed were. 
So this, that's roughly 50 years later. When does everything change? All right, you may be asking, all right, so when does this all change? If this is the case, 50 years later, it, it, a century and a half later, after Thomas Jefferson in 1802 wrote that, stay with me, all right? In 1947, there's a court case. This is from the Vincent Court, all right? The case is called Everson versus the Board of Ed, 1947. That's where this phrase is used again from Jefferson. This is kind of an innocuous case, too. I'm not a legal expert. My brother and Eric, it's sitting in front of you. You guys know a lot more about this stuff than I do. But I'm just a student of it. I'm just conveying this to you. I'm just presenting you the facts. When you look at this case, kind of innocuous, it's about school transportation for public school kids and, and Catholic school kids, right? But in the decision, this is what they said. These are the words from the decision. The First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. We could not approve the slightest breach. That's where it came from, 1947. Once you saw that in 1947, right, you have to realize what they see. They, they took the separation metaphor that, that Jefferson talked about and they flipped it on its head. Whereas the founding fathers and Jefferson, anybody you ask, if we had any of the founding fathers here, I guarantee you they would agree, this is not what they meant. This is not what the Constitution says. This is not what the Constitution means. The government is not supposed to meddle in the affairs of religious expression. Yeah, the first part, you can't set up a, a, a church denomination. And the second part, they cannot meddle in public expression, religiously speaking. So... They're basically trying to secularize the public square. That's what happened in this case in 1947. And it's crazy because you hear this all the time. Did you know, looking this up, one writer said this, that since this case in 1947, in court cases, 4, 000, over 4,000 times, this phrase has been mentioned. The First Amendment itself has been mentioned less than 3,000 times since this case in 1947. So you have our Supreme Court justices, and they keep talking about this. This is totally taken out of context. You see what has happened in our country? Wow. You know, and since you repeat it so much, I don't know if you, you know the father of modern psychology. His name is William James. Look what he said, and it's so true, like stuff like this. There is nothing so absurd, but if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. Right? How absurd. We hear it over and over again, and I'm giving you the history lesson. I'm telling you, it's erroneous. It's not true. It's a fallacy. Thomas Jefferson, the other founding fathers, what they intended for this country, when you look at our heritage, and yet we still hear it all the time. I hear it in school all the time as a teacher. We'll talk about court cases. Kids say it all the time, and it's hard in a public high school classroom to say, listen, you have no idea what you're talking I say a little bit, but I have to kind of live on the fence a little bit, and I kind of try to navigate this. It's not easy. But I want to be like, you have no clue, you don't understand your history. It's not true. It's flat out false. Well, when, I mean, the bottom really falls out in the case we see in 1962. How many of you know the case Engel Vitel? All right, Engel Vitel is the second part. So there's two points, two seminal moments. I would say the first one is the case in 1947. And then the second one is 1962, Angle versus Vitale. What happened in that case? They took out voluntary prayer in school. How many of you older people remember that case? You remember it maybe a little better than I do? Yeah? Okay. You remember that court case. Voluntary prayer in school. Now, you want to hear the prayer? One judge called it the to whom it may concern prayer. God is mentioned in the prayer one time. God is mentioned once. This is the actual prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee, and we beg thy blessing over us, our parents, our teachers, and our nation. Did you notice that God is mentioned here once? God is mentioned in the Pledge of Allegiance one time. Did you know in the Declaration of Independence, God is mentioned four times as many that it is here? Are you kidding me? And then you know what they did in 1985? Silent prayer in school was outlawed. Tell me, Supreme Court, how does one know when one is praying silently? Help me out with that. Really? Twelve months after this decision in 1962, Angle Vitel, and I shared this one with you, Abington, the Abington case in 1963 took the Bible out of school. So they took prayer out in 1962, and they take the Bible out in 1963. Can I move forward now and give you a little more recent history? You want a little more recent history of other cases? Well, how about this? 
How about only a few years later, 1967, I found a ton of, I, I could get, listen to me, I could give you a thousand court cases where you could see the assault on Judeo-Christian principles going from 1962 all the way to present day. I can, it's one sermon, I can only give you a couple. Despain versus DeKalb County Community School District, 1967. This was a kindergarten hymn, like, this is like a, a, little, a little book that these kids in kindergarten would say. We thank you for the flowers so sweet. We thank you for the food we eat. We thank you for the birds that sing. We thank you for everything. This is like a Homer Simpson-like, like, right? Like prayer, right? God is not even mentioned in this, right? God is not mentioned, but they said they were so worried that if some kids actually thought it was talking about God, it would create problems. Supreme Court decision, 1967. How about you move forward? How about 1980? There have been numerous cases relating to the Ten Commandments. Stone versus Graham. This is in the decision. This is, this, I'm quoting from the Supreme Court. If posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children, school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps venerate, and obey the commandments. This is not a permissible objective. Really, that makes a lot of sense. These really bright guys. Help me out here, attorneys. Help me out here. This is kind of strange, right? But this is what the Supreme Court said. Kids can't even look at it. We can look at pictures of George Washington. I can look at pictures of flowers on the wall. I can look at pictures of Buddha. Do you think anybody's going to have a problem if Buddha's on the wall? I don't think so, because there's an assault on Judeo-Christian principles in this country. If there was a picture of Muhammad on the wall, I don't think there'd be a court case about it because there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. Don't just look with your earthly eyes at what you see. Understand there is another battle taking place across the globe. How about a couple more? Here we go. This is 2006. Anderson versus Milwaukee County. A citizen riding a public bus cannot give a fellow rider a book containing Bible stories. Wow, okay, oh, I'm just getting warmed up. It is unconstitutional for an historic memorial, even to the fallen or slain, to contain a cross as part of its display, no matter how many previous decades the memorial had been standing. By the way, I give you three cases, there are about ten. Next one. It is unconstitutional for a nativity scene to be displayed on public property unless surrounded by sufficient secular displays so as to prevent it from appearing religious. Those are just a couple, a plethora of cases, same thing, relating to this, same exact thing. Oh, but we're, we're asleep. We think everything's good, everything's peachy keen. It's July 4th, we got the fireworks going, we got barbecues going, and there is an enemy that is out there trying to take Christianity out, and he's trying to take us out, and we're sleeping. Next one, here we go. Oh, this is, this is wild. This op, you can look this up. Nine Western states, court, courts ruled it constitutional for public schools to require a three-week indoctrination to the Islamic faith in which junior high students must pretend, <coughs> excuse me, pretend they are Muslims and are encouraged to take Islamic names, <coughs> wear Islamic garb, and read the Quran. During these three weeks, the same court ruled it unconstitutional for those students voluntarily to mention under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. <clears throat> I ask you, what is going on in this country? How about this with license plates? Not a court case, but hard to believe. I had to put that up there. A little love for C.S. Lewis. That was a plate I would love to have. Although states print hundreds of thousands of custom license plates, Oregon refused to print pray. Virginia refused to print God for us. Vermont refused to print Romans 5. Utah refused to print thank God. Sorry, you're not allowed to have that on your license plate, but if you put thank Allah, you're fine. Right? Thank Muhammad. Thank Buddha. But no, no, no. If you have God in there, God, Jesus in there, you have a book of the Bible in there, you have pray in there, sorry, that's not allowed. Can't do it. There is an assault in this country. How about this? My mom passed this along to me, and this is Elaine uh, Canis passed this along to her. This is a case that is currently going on right now. The woman's name is Monifa Sterling. She posted... A Bible verse, here's the verse, uh, Isaiah 57, 14, she changed it a little bit, um, where no weapon formed against me shall proper, uh, prosper, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, instead of you, she just put me in there, she put that on her computer, she had it on her desk, she had it in three different spots, her supervising officer said, you need to take that down, she said, I'm not taking that down, next day she came in, the officer ripped all three of the verses down. What did she do the next day? She put them back up again. Ripped them down. She got in trouble. She got court-martialed. 
She has been dishonorably discharged from the military, and this is it. She has, uh, she's going to another appeal court, military court, anytime, pretty soon, I think. This is what, reading online about this, doing some research, a military judge determined that the quotations could be interpreted as combative and could easily be seen as contrary to good order and discipline. Are you, are you with me now? You're with me now, I can tell. I'm looking at your faces. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're under attack. How about this? In Cape Cod, Massachusetts, a school district thought it would be a great idea to pass out condoms. This is recently to elementary school children. Great idea. Well, the intent, the school board committee chairman said, the intent is to protect kids. We know that sexual experimentation is not limited to an age. So how does one put an age on it? Yeah, you're really smart. I don't know who hired you. This is from the Boston Globe. The publication, I found this online. This is from the Boston Globe, looking at this case. A day after the new policy caused a media firestorm, school committee chairman Peter Grasso said that Provincetown would probably limit condoms to fifth graders and older. Are you follow? This is your country, okay? His stance stemmed from a conversation he had with Superintendent Beth Singer, offer of the... I mean, I, just, I put that part up there for you to see. Fifth grade and older? Really? We are under attack. Wilder Publications has begun printing copies of the Constitution and reprints of the Declaration of Independence. Isn't that wonderful? But look at the warning they put on them. This is the label they put on them. This book, so they're both together, the Declaration and the Constitution, right? This book is a product of its time and does not reflect the same values as it would if it were written today. Parents might wish to discuss with their children how views on race, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, and interpersonal relations have changed since this book was written before allowing them to read this classic work. It's all over the place. Is an historian. I've read a lot of his books, and I mean, I can't even. T- I could give you a thousand authors. Not a thousand authors. I'm exaggerating, but a bunch of authors that I have read on all of these topics. A guy I really uh, enjoy listening to, reading his material. He's Time Magazine said he's one of the top twenty influential evangelical Christians in the country. His name is David Barton. He did extensive research on what happened before and after 1962, which I said to you before. If you don't remember, that's the Angle vs. Vitell case, which took voluntary prayer out of school. And if I was to show you a graph, you'd be, it would blow your mind. Um, and what has happened since 62? Premarital sex, violent crimes, sexually transmitted diseases, and teen suicides have gone through the roof. There is a, a dramatic exponential growth since 1962. I mean, he's got the stats to back it up. This is not like some guy taking something and trying to manipulate it. Just the stats. I, if you want, I can show you where he got the information from because I checked him. I fact-check him. I don't agree with everything the guy says, but a lot of what he put here for this research made sense. The only thing that actually went down since 1962, SAT scores. Really. So how do you explain all these stats? Is it a coincidence? Is it a coincidence? Or maybe there really is power in prayer. Wow. Did you hear what I said? Maybe there really is power in prayer. Ronald Reagan said this. If we forget that we are a nation under God, then we are a nation gone under. How many quotes do I have to give you from people, presidents of the United States, luminaries in this country, founding fathers, that we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles? People that venerated and loved the Bible, people that loved God, people that looked to Jesus Christ as their personal salvation, their Savior. How many quotes do I have to put up there to show you? It's true. The problem is, friends, we have become soft. The term Christian, it's, I guess it's been diluted to some extent, and we have compromised. We have made it so easy to be a Christian in name only, haven't we? We've made it so easy. What does that term really mean? Well, you can't, in, in trying to look at the foundation, I said last week, and I said a lot of this week too, I'm giving you more foundational material about our country but you can't restore something unless you know how it was built. We can't restore America until we look back and say, how was it even built in the first place? Like when I was a kid, I used to take stuff apart. I took the air conditioner apart in my room. Didn't know how to put anything back together again. Went to my grandparents' house, took the clock apart. It was fun to take apart, but then when the time came to put it back together again, you better know how to build something and put it back together. When you look at the founding of our nation. And listen, it's been a slow process. 
It's been a slow process. Over, isn't that how the enemy works? Right? He's not out there with the horns and the red cape. It's, I'm going to go really slow, and I'm going to get people to accept this. Oh, just accept this. Come on, look what's going on around you right now in 2015. And you look at how we've caved in as a nation. And it's amazing. You know what? There was a time, though, in Israel's history where the people had cracks in their foundation. And you know what God said to them? God said to them these words, and I think these are words for us today. These are words that we can live by. These are words that are very important for us. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. They saw they had cracks in their foundation. We have cracks in our foundation. And what are we supposed to be doing? You know what? I'm so sick of it's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's Obama's fault. It's, it was the Bush administration's fault. No. You know what we need to do? We need to look in the mirror and say, you know what? It's my fault. It's nobody else's fault. Revival starts here. Spiritual revival starts when we look in the mirror. Stop looking for Washington to do it. It happens in the home. It happens in our, with our families. If all of us would take that responsibility and say, you know what? It's time for me to look inside and say, I'm not going to criticize the media. I'm not going to criticize all these politicians out there. Yeah, we want godly leaders in office, and we should be voting for them. People that share our morals and what we believe. But listen, it comes down to us looking in the mirror. The time has come when we stop looking at our finances that the founders of our country were more concerned with their morals, not manpower. They were more concerned with faith than their finances. Look what David said. I love what David, when he said this, David said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How true is that? What are you putting your trust in today? Friends, what are you putting your trust in today? Our hope is in God. We have to look to him for guidance and direction. And the great thing is, it's not too late. Isn't that the great thing? It's not too late. You see, the America still has a very faint heartbeat. If you listen closely, you can hear it. It's very faint. It's not strong. We are in need of a spiritual bypass in this country. And that's what we need to ask for, a spiritual bypass where we would wake up and take this kind of message and realize how we're being assaulted, our Christian principles are being assaulted, but you would be educated. You may walk out, I didn't entertain you today. I gave you information, but I pray this information leads to revelation. And this revelation leads to us taking a stand, taking this serious, going back home and praying for our country, praying for our leaders, looking at our own lives. Where have we compromised? Where are we saying, yeah, you know what, I'm a Christian, I come to church, whatever. Where are we going to take this more seriously in our lives? That's what this message is about today. And I started last week, I said, it's like a cliffhanger, right? You don't know how it's going to end? We are part of we are in a time as a people that we can actually really make a difference. We can make a difference. Can I leave you with words like, I'm going to end in a much different way today. I want to end with words from Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln, these are his words from 1863 when he called in right, I mean, they're, they're right in the midst embroiled in the Civil War. The Civil War did not start out well for the North. They're in the middle of the Civil War. It's 1863, and Abraham Lincoln has called a day of fasting and prayer. I mean, I told you, over 1,400 times in the country, we, we see this, fasting and prayer. And Abraham Lincoln said these words. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. <laughs> we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated... With unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. 
It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Your 16th president of the United States said these words. As we come to the table this morning, it's a time of real reflection for you. Remember, we talked these two weeks about the founding of our nation. We've talked about the foundation. We've talked about the cracks in the foundation. I just showed you a little, a little slice, a little piece of some of the court cases of what has happened, what has transpired. Now it's time for us to take this, the, these messages and to go home and to get on our knees and pray. You know, that's what it means to repent. You turn around. You make a U-turn. All of us, there are areas in all of our lives. I know in my own life, where have you compromised? Where have I compromised? This is not a time to play around. This is not a time for games. This is a time for us to be serious as a people. I can't say it enough. I can't say it strong enough that you and I are in a battle, a spiritual battle. Wickedness in high play. Uh, Listen, the wickedness that we see that's pervasive in this culture, it's everywhere. We are to be salt and we are to be light in these dark days, but to believe that God will pour out his spirit, to believe that it is not too late for something to happen, for him to resuscitate this nation, to revive this nation. It can happen. So Lord, as we close with those words of Abraham Lincoln, Father, I ask that people's eyes would be open as they leave here today. Lord, these are sobering words from Supreme Court justices presidents and other dignitaries, Lord, other famous people from this country. Lord, the onslaught against Christianity, it's never-ending. Father, we know it's going to continue to happen. Oh, Lord, may we be a people that actually get in the race, that we don't just sit on the sidelines idly sitting while everything is happening around us. May we really see that we have a place in this battle. May we pick up our sword, Father, Lord, may our Bibles not just, Bibles not just sit on a, a nightstand and gather dust. May we actually pick them up and read them. May we actually get on our knees and pray. May we actually believe that you can move in our midst, that you can move on this nation. Father, do it. Give us the faith to believe, Lord. Give us the faith to believe that this is the hour you have put us on this planet for such a time as this embroiled in all of this, everything that's going on, that we can really be difference makers. Help us to believe that. Amen. Ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.